hello. Hey, Kai. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Mr. Dalton. <laughs> Where are you right now? Uh, I am in Granite Falls, North Carolina. So I'm visiting my mother who's lived here last in this uh, town for the last eight years, but in Western North Carolina since the 80s, actually. Yeah, so what have you been up to? Oh, uh, I've been uh, taking a part in trying to refurbish uh, my grandfather's 1946 Wurlitzer 1015, which plays 78 records and was probably sitting around in his house unused for who knows how long and uh, needs some serious TLC. I saw, I think, was it on Twitter you posted a photo of that? Yeah, it all opened up on the inside. That's yeah, a beautiful looking piece of uh, equipment there. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, they, you know, for 1946, it's crazy the technology, the way they, how smartly they put different things together. There's a rotating camshaft that does so many different functions. It's kind of wild to see, you know, just you're looking at it trying to figure out what the steps are, and then you realize that there's this tiny little part that swings around and bumps another thing, which pushes in this magnetic coil, and, you know, it's kind of magic. Are there parts for it, or do you need parts for it? Uh, there are parts on eBay, you know, and uh, who knows? We're just trying to get it up and running, unfortunately, to, to sell it, probably. But still, it's been fun just uh, poking around on the inside. What have you been up to? So Nat Ward uh, invited a, a bunch of us who come from different institutions to check out the, I guess it's the closing of the, the massive studio at Macy's in Brooklyn. Uh, all their equipment, uh, you know, they were giving away all their equipment. And this was the place where they must have done um, the the majority of their, their catalogs and, and their photos and their ads and things like that. It was just an enormous space. Yeah, that place was incredible. I, I got to see it a couple of days before you did. And uh, it, in some ways, you know, it was enviable to see all the space. On the other hand, it was kind of wild to see the the range of years of equipment that mm. they still had because they had a lot of those old Mole Richardson, you know, uh, kind of, uh, what color are they? They're, they're like magenta with the Fresnel yes. lenses and everything. Those yeah. Are amazing. Yeah. They, I mean, let's put it this way. It seemed like most of the equipment in there was made in the United States. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's definitely true. Yeah. All those, you know, so, you know, lots of light stands and lights and, but I don't know if you got a chance to look at some of the props that were there as well. I only saw a couple. I mean, I saw bunch of macy's stars of course and then i saw some uh i did see some funny stuff you know like giant uh, bear a giant this a giant that you know things that they built for different sets but you probably saw more than i did yeah we well i don't know maybe some of the stuff was picked through but there were there were lots of oversized christmas ornaments that we uh, right we saw yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, next year for the tree. That's right. <laughs> I know. I know. My my wife Cynthia used to work at Macy's, and I was tempted to bring her home a star, but it oh, would yeah. it would have looked like uh, we were becoming uh, a communist uh, something. I don't know. If yeah, I that's that on right. our house. <laughs> well, why not? Uh, I can't remember. Have we mentioned in the past? Speaking of Nat Ward, uh, the website that he runs with Ben Alper. A new nothing. I can't remember if we, if I mentioned it in a previous intro. I'm not sure. Um, I know you're involved, and I, I spoke to Nat, and he's going to be on the show oh, to great. talk about that with with Ben. Oh, perfect. Good. So I won't say much more than everyone else should go and check it out right now. A new nothing dot com, and then more to come. It's it's a great concept. Yeah. Yeah. 
I had a funny encounter today. I was in um, the Home Depot in Hickory, North Carolina, which is sort of the largest town around here. And uh, I'm walking around uh, with my M3 on my shoulder, and this guy comes up to me in the electrical department to ask me uh, what which model Leica that was, which I didn't expect. <laughs> and uh, it turns out he had been working at the Charlotte Observer for 45 years as a photographer. Mm. And they've gotten rid of their labs and their downsizing of course as you might imagine a lot of newspapers are and he said that he expects that he'll mostly be working from home going out on assignment and like working on his laptop in his car and uploading stuff and uh that he hasn't shot film in years is he uh uh, technically a staffer or they they sort of just make him a freelancer or something like that i didn't ask him if his status had changed but Mm -hmm. he'd been doing it for four years so i assume at some point he might have been staff yeah you were walking around with your leica yeah, I mean, I'm here when I'm photographing as I go out and about around here just in case I stumble upon something and uh, didn't feel comfortable leaving it in the car even just to go into Home Depot. So. Right. <laughs> I'm not working on a new body of work centered around Home Depot in case that's what you're thinking. Yeah. Street photography that's on right. aisle 10. You know. that, but, would be, uh, that would be what they chat out. Street photographer, aisle 10. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but it reminded me also of, um, and I had a brief discussion with him about it, is like this. It, there's all these hashtags going by on on uh, Twitter and on uh, even on Instagram, ironically, and I think about you know keep film alive and all of these things. Right. And uh, to a certain extent, of course, I you know I, will, I definitely am invested in it. But um, then there's some of these things like they someone's remaking Type 55 Polaroid film. Yes. If you saw that, right? Yes. But it's ridiculously expensive. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, like eight sheets for, you know, I forget the exact amount. But so there's some things, you know, that probably should be allowed to to fade away in time. I don't know. Right, right. There's the idea of um, an effect or a look at, a, at an incredible cost. I'm not sure it makes sense. I mean, it made yeah. sense when it was commercially available and readily available um, and it was a great way of doing something and com- compared to doing something else, but I'm not sure it, it makes sense in, if it's about nostalgia or if it's just trying to look like something or trying to claim something, uh, yeah. not, not for that expense. See, I, I, photog- I photographed Type 55 film several times um, traveling. Like I was in Berlin for a couple of weeks and I, I didn't want to come back and find out that none of my exposures worked or that I had a light leak or something mm-hmm. like that. So, but it felt, it was, of course it was a little romantic, but it was also very practical to go out, you know, uh, expose the film and, and the thing inside and then go back to your, uh, your room at night and uh, wash it, everything in right. sodium sulfide and hang the negatives up to dry in the clothesline and you're, uh, you know, hostile. And you're not, and you're not, and you're not passing exposed film back again through an x-ray machine. Yeah, exactly. But this new 55 film I saw, it doesn't, uh, not to harp on them, but <laughs> it, it doesn't, you have to actually have fixer right there. You can't, uh, and mm. you have to do that in like low light or no light. So it's not really in the field as much. I guess you could expose and then process later when you got home, but uh, kind of defeats the purpose. I right. Think. Right. Cause then you're no longer at that scene. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, well, yep. Well, we, we had a fantastic conversation with Charlie Traub. Yeah. Amazing. Now, of course you knew him from you 
years of being at SVA and doing stuff, but that was really the first conversation I had with him, and uh, I thought it was uh, incredible, yeah. Sometimes you just don't know how much knowledge and history and connection people have uh, in photography. Uh, you know, when you read you know, photo history, you, you don't always see all the names. And, and then you, there's all these people who, who were there, who were involved, who, who are part of the history of photography. Yeah, and also Charlie has that unique, or Charles, I guess I should say. Charles has a... <laughs> I don't know why I got it in my head that it's Charlie. Well, Maybe Tom I, says that. I did that. Uh, I think oh, okay. people who've known him for a long time call him Charlie. And, and when he came to the School of Visual Arts while I was there, that's that's how we came to know him, as Charlie. And, and uh, okay. maybe it was through through books and, and shows that he's known as Charles. Yeah, I, I wondered about that later. But the other thing, the thing I was getting to before I tripped up on his name is the he has this breadth of knowledge from the Midwest, you know, that Midwestern photography world, which, you know, we don't hear about as quite as much. I mean, you do hear the names, but the idea of like the, uh, the number of people who were gathered together in Chicago and, you know, at these different times and then dispersing and coming back. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. It is. It, it was, yeah, it was completely fascinating. There's just all these photographers in one place at one time. So, oh, amazing. Yeah. So, um, and he touches upon what you just said uh, in in a number of different ways, which you know we'll we'll let the listeners hear. But the idea that it isn't just all on the coasts, right? Yes, right, exactly. So great. Well, enjoy your time down there. When you come back, uh, coming back on the seventeenth. So and then it's back to work. Week. Yep, and then we have class starts on Tuesday right after Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> all right. All right, Michael. Great Thanks. to hear from you. You too. Thanks for calling in. Talk to you soon. Have a good night. Test, test. One, two. Oh, you're particularly loud today. Okay. <laughs> no, that test. No, no, it's good. <laughs> Charlie, go ahead, lean in. I'm leaning in. A little more? <laughs> a little more. Let's... So we are here at the School of Visual Arts uh, in the office of Charlie Traub. Char um, Charlie, you're listed as Director of uh, Photography and Related Media. Is it, is it the whole thing? Is it a graduate program? Is it? I am the chairman of the F Photography, Video, and Related Media MFA program of the School of Visual Arts, a program that I founded in... 1988, uh, planned it in 1987, and we deliberately started it as a program that would engage technology, digital, and all the operations thereof. And as a sort of side comment, I would like to rename it, and I do use it quite frequently, as the graduate program in the lens and screen arts, because we've evolved so much though that entails going to the state and all kinds of other stuff but eventually i think we'll end up doing that so so how did this all begin how did you get into photography well that's one of those sort of magical stories that i guess all of us have who are photographers in an age when the photography field as you and kai uh know it was not very developed uh, you know, the fine art, but I hate that word of photography, but let's call it the idiosyncratic, personal, 
creative areas of photography, which are basically non-commercial. And that was back in 1967. Hmm. And I have to tell a story, if you don't mind. Oh, I love it. That's why we're here, absolutely, yeah. Um, When I was a child, my father was from central Illinois. I don't know if either of you are have been in central Illinois, but central Illinois is very, very flat. I think the farthest out in Illinois I've been is Naperville. Yeah, not too far, but (laughs) he was from Lincoln, Illinois, and Dullivan, which is right in the middle of the cornfields, as flat pancake as it could be. And my father went to the University of Illinois, and my mother went there. She was from Kentucky. And my brother and my cousins and my aunts and even my grandmother had gone to there Uh, for a short period of time. So that was the family school. My grandmother got sick when I was a young child, and we had to travel from Louisville, Kentucky, where I grew up, to central Illinois, which was about a six-hour drive, and we did it quite frequently. I mean, every other week, and it seemed like. It was a long haul for a little kid. We would get to the Illinois border, which is You'd go up to Indianapolis and directly west from Indianapolis. And at the border, it's, it's like the glacier flattened it out right at that border. And my father would go, ah, we're in the land of Lincoln. <laughs> and I would say, Lincoln was born in Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky is a beautiful state with rolling hills and uh, trees. And this is awful. <laughs> my father would say, son... You just don't see it. Hmm. What's the sea? I would respond. It's in the horizon line. Hmm. Didn't get it. So flip forward probably 10 years, 9, 10 years. I'm a senior at the University of Illinois, (laughs) an English major. Last semester, I'm going into the Peace Corps. My father has died and left me a nice camera. I decide, I was a journalism minor, by the way, but something told me that take photography in the art department, not in the journalism department. Why I had that instinct, I guess was just instinct. In the journalism department, I remember they were using you know speed graphics and they were making all those sort of prosaic journalism shots that you would see in the mm-hmm. local newspapers in those days. I didn't know what the art part was about, but I remember growing up and seeing, you know, popular photography annuals and modern photography annuals, and of course, looking at the nudes like everybody else did as a kid. So figure, I tried to, Figure studies. Yeah, <laughs> figure studies, right. What do you mean as a kid? <laughs> right, exactly. So I trundled over to the Cran Art, Art Museum and the f- department, and the museum and the department, I think, in those days were in the same building, if I remember right. And as you can imagine, and as always the case, particularly then and even still now to some extent, photography was in the basement of the basement. Mm. And as I went down the stairs, the transom, above the transom, was a long panorama of the Illinois landscape. I looked at it and said, oh my God, what a beauty. That's what my father was fucking talking <laughs> <Wow>. about. <laughs> wow. That's great. So who do I meet when I get down at the bottom but Art Sinzabah, mm-hmm. who made the picture, whose famous Midwest landscapes were just the thing my father was talking about. Mm. And he was a very personable, 
I had never had an art course in my life. I had a history of architecture, I think, and maybe Renaissance art somewhere. And all of a sudden, I was getting credit for doing what I really thought was a lot of fun. Mm. <laughs> After being an English major, which was tedious, you know, writing three papers for every course and blah, 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 blah. And I'm a very slow reader, and I, actually, I'm learning disabled, and it was completely the wrong uh, thing. So... And was it that turned 35 me millimeter black and no, white? No, he or? started us out. And I, in fact, uh, the, the, in, there's a book here, I have to find it, shows the first picture I ever took, which is a little house on the Illinois Plain. And I've made some pictures recently, not unlike those right there, actually. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you about that project in a minute. And no, you used a 4x5. He believed mm-hmm. in training you on a 4x5, you know, a real a view camera and mm-hmm. learning that. And it was cumbersome and tedious and fun. And then I guess he let us use a 35 later on. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. Actually, I think we did everything for him. Did you just five. make contact prints? Make then? contact prints. And boy, did he yeah. make us make them right. Right. Because uh, he made contact, as you know, mm. his panoramas were contact prints from a 20 by 24 camera. Right. Cut down. Um, you know, it was a totally different atmosphere. It was loose. It was friendly. You know, you, at, at a big university like that, in an English class, you never even get to know your teacher. I mean, you know, even if it was a small class, there was no community. This suddenly had a fence. So cutting forward, I go into the Peace Corps that summer. I'm in a terrible accident, um, horrible accident, and have to terminate a person. My wife at the time was killed in it. And... Uh, terminated and we were hit by a runaway police van it probably was an anti-american thing in the beginning of the communist takeover of ethiopia but that's another story you and your wife were in the peace corps together yeah we went in we got married just before going in and uh she was a journalist i wanted to be a journalist and um so i terminated and all of a sudden i had to get into graduate school Hmm. Because if you remember, the Vietnam War was raging. Yeah. And, um, well, you don't remember, but it was. Suffice it to say. And um, so I knew this this photo thing was really terrific. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I made some pretty good pictures as I look back on them, actually. And, you know, in the Peace Corps, I I made some pictures that were just, you know, typical Peace Corps kind of pictures. I wasn't in that long. So I run into this. I decide I want to take some art history. I want to take some photography. But there is no photography at the University of Louisville, which is because I had just gotten out of the hospital. It was already mid-October, late October. But I knew a dean who let me in. And and I was in some kind of new humanities program. Mm. And I could take courses pretty much in any part. And I ran into a guy named Bob Dougherty. You all don't know who he was. No. Darity was the head of the Alan R. Height Art Institute at the University of Louisville, later became head of the George Eastman House. Mm-hmm. He had been a student of Walker Evans and Eisenman at Yale, a man probably 20 years older than I am. I think he's still alive. And um, a really quite a remarkable worldly Easterner who said, okay, Take my design course. I don't want to do this. I want to do photography. Okay, no problem. And so he acquired the Clarence John Lachlan collection for the university and the 
uh, Stryker collection from Standard Oil, which mm -hmm. is still there, by the way. Right. So I started working in those archives. I started making pictures about Louisville and so on and so forth. We're, we're talking about Roy Stryker, who, who led the photo program through the FSA and then went on to Standard Oil. That's correct. Right. And it's a, the Standard Oil collection is a major collection. And they, they really ha began an archive, which I think if he had stayed there and, and maybe would have ultimately become what the University of Arizona archive is. But, you know, it, it's a, it was a serious archive, and at least for that time. And all the stimulation was great. And so I knew about, at that time, I already knew about Meat Yard, who lived 75 miles down the road, and I trundled down to see him and in his optometry shop. Hmm. And I showed him my work, and he liked it. And we started meeting in Lexington Camera Club. Uh, they, he would come to Louisville with several guys, a guy named Bob May, who's gotten some reputation. He's being shown, I think, presently at the uh, museum in Cincinnati. And several of the known Lexington Camera Club people, and we would meet with a guy named John, uh, Don Anderson, Ron Morris, and Bob Dougherty. And every Sunday, once a month, once a month, I think we had a little photo critique, which Gene basically dominated. So I became good friends of his. Then Johnson does away with the damn graduate deferments, and <laughs> I am drafted. Oh. Mm. I had done everything to stay out. I mean, applied to be a rabbi's assistant, conscientious, tried to conscientious objection, it was too late. Hmm. And at that time, Johnson administration wanted to say there was no bias for anybody just because they went to college. They were, there had been a lot of criticism. So to make a long story short, I ended up in an infantry unit, Fort Polk, Louisiana, known as Tigerland. And by the way, there's a film called Tigerland about that training at that time. It's a wonderful film. Yeah, I've heard of it. It's a very good film. One of the best war films I think you'll see. Made about 10 years ago, maybe a little more. How, you know, a full, big production film. And um, everything failed. I was going to Vietnam with a shotgun appointment wow. in <laughs> two weeks. Oh, man. And I, I remember, actually, I had, a, I had bought a little roly, uh, I forget what you call it, but it, was, it didn't have a, a, a range finder, but it, it was a... It was kind of box camera box, without a, a finder? It was a little portable camera. Oh, it didn't have one of those sort of pop-up finders yeah, on yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I think you, you, rain, you, you zone focused it. But it was very sharp. It had a wonderful, you know, it had a Zeiss lens. And mm -hmm. I tried photographing stuff about the Army and I, but it, you know, they, they were too, too censoring and too... It was too dangerous, to do, dangerous because you get in too much trouble to do it. So... I guess I got to tell the whole story because it's such a wonderful story. Please do. I had I had had been born with spastic colitis and I'd always had bouts of it. Of course, it got worse there. And even before I went um, into the army, I went to a doctor in Louisville who was had been an associate of my father's, uh, and my father was dead. And I said, you know, can you do anything to get me out or help me? And he said, son. I'm a lieutenant colonel in the Army Reserve, and you're going in. Wow. <laughs> you're not wrong with you. <laughs> wrong guy. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so all of this has... Probably flagged your file somewhere. Little <laughs> to do with photography, but it's a, such a wonderful story. Extra and, comment. And I have told it before. So I'm having trouble, you know, 
very constipated and all. And, and didn't you also say you had a some sort of learning disability as well? I was with, learning with reading, dis- and, yeah, and, but was, that didn't uh, cut it. Uh, no, I didn't cut yeah. it. Nothing cut it. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. I, I was uh, uh, dyslexic. Mm-hmm. Nothing cut it. It just it was like one bad thing after another. Plus, I'd been in a horrible accident. Blah blah blah. I just have to tell it because it was like your whole life, you know, unfolding. And this is all in the period of two and a half, three years. It, it was just one bad thing after another, with the exception of photography, which was sort of I hung on to in a kind of wonderful way. And so I complained and I had to go to a doctor's appointment, you know, for a gastro thing. And they gave me... Uh, I get what was Castro on. They told me to take it the night before I come back. The night before I come back is the last major pre-war drill you have. It's it's featured in this movie uh, Tigerland. You've got to crawl through barbed wire with fifty pound pack on your shoulder. You your gun, the machine guns going off at about twelve feet above you. It, it's the close to war as you get in training. And that, that was live fire, live. Yeah, it's live fire. Yeah, and you have to do a night compass course, and of course, in the middle of all of this, the castrol hits me. I throw off my oh. pack, shit all over the fucking field, oh, and the lieutenant comes up. <laughs> Are you shitting on my battlefield? <laughs> <laughs> all these guys have to crawl around me, and I said, "Yeah, I guess I am. I'm, I've got." You chicken shit! Blah 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 blah. He thought you crapped your pants because of the fire and everything. Uh. Threw me out off the field. Threw me confined me to barracks. Next morning, I go to the doctor's office, and he says, uh, "You want out of the army, don't you, son?" I said, "No, I just want my MOS. That's your military occupation status changed, or." I'm just having trouble, and I want really. He says, you don't belong in the Army. He said, you served your nation. You've been in the Peace Corps. You went through hell and back. Here, you're out. Oh. Wow. I, and I was going to ask about that, too. Did, did anyone take the Peace Corps into consideration? No, no, no. In, in those days, it was not uh, a deferment. Well, one had assumed, the word peace in it, too, which is right. good. Yeah. One assumed that by being in the Peace Corps and you spent two years, it was going to be over the war. But, of course, I wasn't even in two years. I was in about six months. So... Wow. Uh, it all of a sudden I am liberated. I am, I got, gave everything away that I had in military stuff, boots, all everything. I didn't even process my military. Uh, I was, I'm entitled, I think, to all the military benefits because I'm honorably discharged. And I found out where the first plane was, which went to Houston, and I got on it. <laughs> I never looked back. Wow. It didn't matter where it went. I was out of there. Right. Before they changed their mind. Yeah, before they changed their mind, exactly. So, but then you wound up going back to Louisiana and living there for six months. Right? That's later. That's yeah, later. Much later. But yeah, but I, it, right, not so far from there. That's correct. Were you inspired by the landscape no. there or anything? No. Okay. Yeah. So completely coincidental. <laughs> Fort Polk is a little further north, uh, but uh, no, not in the least. Uh, so I'm back. It's May. I'm sort of loose but sort of aimless mm. and I realized I want to go to graduate school in photography and there was only two places to go I think at that time and that was uh, University of New Mexico had just opened and I didn't know much about it. Visual studies might have opened by then. I think they had a show at Gene Meard's uh, thing as I did 
Uh, I think he had just a, but the place I knew about because of Sinzabad was the Institute of Design and Aaron Siskin's work I already knew. About. I knew quite a bit about photography by that time. I'd gotten pretty passionate and did every, and, and the University of Louisville archive and the library was kind of a remarkable resource for those days. So, so most of it you would have seen in books or in this archive. Whatever was there, yeah. I probably saw. Yeah, I was yeah. very, I even came to New York, I remember at one point, uh, somewhere between when I was in that tentative graduate school before being drafted, just to go to the Strand bookstore. Mm-hmm. I remember buying books and go to MoMA, and you know that was like right. going to Mecca, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And um, So we're in the early 70s now. No, we're, we're actually uh, 1969. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're not in this early 70s. And what was the application process like then? Had you just well, it was just, you know, you fell out there. So I called Aaron Siskin and I said, you know, I've been working with, uh, with uh, Gene Meard. They kind of knew each other. Uh, actually, it's important. They, everybody knew everybody in those days. Right. And this is, they had had a meeting that Henry Holmes Smith had organized in Indiana University with Nathan. I think Sharkowski was definitely there. Meat Yard, uh, Aaron, Harry, hmm. Callahan, several Nathan others. Nathan Lyons, Nathan Aaron Siskin. L- right. The whole, the whole group of people who became um, sort of the phalanx of photo education were there. And that they formed the organization out of that meeting. Hmm. So they all knew each other. Uh, I'm sure um, Van Deren Koch was there, Arthur Siegel. Uh, I don't know who else from the New York scene was there. Uh, I know Sharkowski was there because he wrote about it. Actually, it's in the book you have. Mm-hmm. Which book is that, Kai? Uh, Education of Photography. photography. There's right. a statement about Sharkowski. And I think Nathan chronicles that meeting, too, in there. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I think Aaron Siskin said, well, I, just, I had a course with Sinsabon. I've been working with Gene Me. Or, he said, okay, bud, come on up. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, you got to fill out some papers. Just fill them out. And I said, "When? When do I come?" He said, "September six, whatever." <laughs> done. So done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, another world. It couldn't have happened today, you know. And yeah. so, and he, I, he just, I guess he liked what I said on the phone. I don't even think he had seen the pictures yet right. that I submitted. And how uh, many other people were in that graduate program? Then it was, I imagine, pretty small, right? When I got there, I think there were eight, nine, maybe mm-hmm. total people. Um, yeah, about eight or nine. Um, not too many. Um, and it was in the basement. I got there. I remember the day I got there, and I went in Crown Hall, which is the famous Mies building. And mm-hmm. uh, I, was, I was a hick, you know, in a funny way. And Chicago was kind of a dream in those days. And... Uh, this was graduate school, and this was the Institute of Design. This, for me, that was, you know, it was in those days probably the place, you know, to go. There was no question about it. Mm. And, and it wasn't an MFA program. It was a Master's it, of Science. It's Master of Science, that's right. They didn't have an MFA. So I went in. I remember opening the door, and there was a little man. I looked like a, sort of a guard or something. I, you know, didn't look like it. I said, I'm looking for Aaron Siskin. He looks at me and says, hey, bud, you found him. I remember he had a work <laughs> shirt on and suspenders. 
And <laughs> he said, hey, bud, you found him. <laughs> so we became very close friends, of course. So that's how I became a photographer. Uh, it was a lot of serendipity, a lot of really remarkable, and I, I feel for all these young people, you, you know, today there's so many more interested. I was so lucky. I ran into Meatyard, Sinzaba, Aaron Harry, and in the course of that, at Caponegro, I did a workshop with him. Uh, Clarence John Lachlan came through Louisville. He was a crazy man, but I escorted him on. I met so many people in that two years, and I called some people to go see them. Uh, Henry Smith, you know, who nobody knows about today, but he was really actually a very important figure who should be better known because of all this new abstraction mm. that's going on. Nobody references him. It's ridiculous, but it's as if it never happened before. Um, I was very lucky. I just fell in with the right people, the right things. I obviously had some talent, but I think that wouldn't have been nurtured had I not just found a community in Louisville, Kentucky, of all places. You yeah. know? So. It, it's certainly not a coincidence that in the last yeah. few shows we've done, uh, with Tom Roma and, and Jeff Hirsch and with you, pe people really, of a, I think maybe of a generation, bring up this idea of community and knowing, knowing you know, this, this, the people in the field, the people the, uh, who were really advancing what photography was at the time. Yeah, then I think that's part of the people you just, Tom's, the educators that you mentioned, the Tom's and, and even Jeff, who's a, who's, who's a dealer of equipment, there was sort of a commitment to fight the battle for photography as an art form. Like I said, it was in the basement of the art school. It was in the basement of the museum, if the museum even had a collection or cared about it. Mm -hmm. And everybody respected everybody who was practicing uh, their, the medium in this, what I'll call, idiosyncratic personal way. And... Um, it was easy. I, 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 you know, throughout a few years later, I visited Bill Brandt. I visited Manuel Alvarez. I just called him on the phone and said, I'm in your city. I'd like <laughs> right. to see you. <laughs> no problem. Come on over. Delighted. Because you have to remember, these people were also honored to be honored. You know, they, they appreciated that they had a following. Because, you know, they didn't really have a big following, even though they, they were famous to us. Um, and also... We weren't, there was no sort of celebrity other than a kind of within the community mm. of, of the art form, a little bit outside of it. And you weren't competing with, uh, there was no money in it. There was no possibility of making money other than teaching. That never occurred to anybody not to, who wanted to do it, not to teach, you know, unless you were, had some kind of professional, uh, you know, uh, commercial skills that you might want to do, but most of those people never stayed with the real medium. So it was a community that was fighting for the establishment of photography as an important form, of which it is probably the most important art form of the late 20th century. And these people not only fought it as artists, but they fought it as educators and critics and uh, uh, as uh, nurturing the people who were interested in it. And that legacy has followed me, and I hope is part of my legacy, uh, for 
all the years I've been teaching, one way or another, for 49 years. Mm. Um, and I think it's still an important thing that, you know, we wouldn't have the community of, not the community, the, the photo world or culture that we have today without all of that early stuff. And you have to remember that every, you know, very few schools taught photography in 1967. By 69, maybe a few more. Blow up By 72, <laughs> blow up is yeah, out there. Right. The Vietnam War is there. And every school starts, you know, and most of the people teaching came out of the Institute of Design, mm. a few out of New York schools, but became the teachers in schools all across the country. Now, all the people that they taught didn't necessarily become artists or photographers, but they became the audience. Right. And they talked the history of photography. Right. And they learned, my, this is interesting. And they started, saying, I'd like to have one of those Siskins, or I'd like to have one of those Winogrands. And so a market began. There were two or three galleries that opened by the, by the early 70s. Of course, we're going to get to the light gallery yeah, in yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah, but, sure. so, but I, you know, there, there was that There was a mission underneath yeah. the whole thing. Right. The truth is, what happened now, we, we've succeeded. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. I'm always surprised, though, thinking of that sense of community. I mean, when I went to the museum school in Boston, part of the reason I went was photographers I'd heard about who went there. And when I was there, I would, you know, people would introduce you to other people. And when, you know, certainly that's something that uh, Tom Roma does with the graduate sure. students at Columbia. You know, I got to meet Helen Levitt. I got to meet John. I got to meet all these people. But um, I'm really surprised. If thing, I, I'm wondering if things change a little bit because I go to events, you know, like, you know, Lee Friedlander had an opening not too long ago uh, at Pace McGill. And, you know, I send out an email to all my students and to the grad students reminding them that if they want to meet, you know, Lee, he'll be at this such and such date. And I was shocked at how few you people went. were interested, like, or to show up and, you know. So well, I, that, it's a different some, world. Yeah, it's a different world. I mean, there's with the internet and everything else, I'm something about that idea of just cold calling people or or even showing well, up I, when you know they're going to be I remember there. the first year I was in Chicago, there was a guy who had a show at the, um, I think the Frumpkin Gallery or the, uh, one of the major galleries in Chicago, who was a, had graduated from the Institute of Design a few years earlier. And I got an invitation to go to it. I thought, oh, my God, this is a big deal. I get to go to an opening. I'd never been to an opening. Right. <laughs> you know, and uh, I remember my wife and I, we were very excited. And we couldn't go. Get dressed up. Yeah. <laughs> got dressed up. And right. I, I'd never been to an opening before. So, uh, but I think a lot of that is that, you know, if, if you think about Lee or, or any of the people we mentioned, they're, they're great celebrities today. Mm. And they're not going to have much time to sit down with that student of yours and schmooze a little bit. Yeah, that's but, true. It, it wasn't the same atmosphere. That said, there's a whole nother world of image making and photography that there is. I mean, if you can't go to all these events, you don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't go to many, many things I ought to go to. Or I wish I could go to. I just don't have the energy, the time. I mean, particularly in New York. I mean, it's just yeah. unbelievable. I mean, if there was a photo show at a gallery, as I said, it was really unusual. I mean, the thing that broke the sort of aura of it was actually the Diane Arbus show at MoMA, which was, I think, the most attended show at that time. 
And that opened up the possibility, not only for, for the photo department there to become more dominant, but it, it said to everybody, look, there's really something here that's beyond. Uh, and so I'd, that community is very, very hard to maintain also because there are raw ambitions that are in the way, careerism of the worst order, yeah. mm. and a lack of knowledge, frankly, and I'm being very candid, by curators and by gallery people to do their homework, to really look outside of the boundaries. You know, I mean, I was thinking about it, Perry Photo. I mean, the, so the curators take the collectors around to Perry Photo and they look and see what, but if you're not there, you're not, you don't exist. But they never will reach outside of that and say, I wonder what's going on in Keokuk, Iowa, photographically. I'm, I'm being a little right. exaggerated. Oh, yeah. and, and you mentioned Light Gallery. As you know, I was the director of Light Gallery uh, in the late 70s. You know, the gallery did its own initiative, took its own initiative. But basically, the, we looked to the museum to, to see what they had discovered. There was a kind of, of give and take a little bit. Yeah, Nowadays, no, the museum the goes around. to the gallery to find out what the gallery knows. Well, the gallery only knows what somebody they picked up through the recommendation of another already famous. I mean, it's not a good system. And there are all these fairs and things like that. But the best, the, the power people don't go to these, I mean, to these um, open calls very much anymore. And it's hard for them, I understand that. But the collaboration between the gallery, the museum, and the collector, and the power collector, which is basically Wall Street, it's, it's, it's not going to create community. It's going to create ambition. Yeah. Right. And, and that's it. Yeah, I, I, I often bemoan the fact that, so I'm also a musician, and I've played in bands. And, you know, when I first moved to New York, which was in 2000, uh, I was playing on the subway and then I What'd went you play uh, I play slide guitar so oh, I was like yeah. playing on Bedford Avenue okay. I, my, my idea was to set up and I would play enough to make money for a dinner and a movie so <laughs> it was a great great way to go but uh, I met musicians who just stopped by and then like offered to go oh, come sit in you know like within three months of moving to New York I knew all these musicians and I knew almost no photographers because right. it was there's there isn't that same sense of competitive nature of like oh there's only so many shows well, and so music many is also plays. collaborative more yeah. more often more collaborative but no there it there, and there's time you know and if you're really working on your work and you know it it's not the same world that i yeah. it, and and won't be it can't be but musicians also will give credit to like oh you know I listened to Johnny Cash and, you know, I stole this from him or I was inspired by this. Right, exactly. And that never I, happens in our field. And you right. now, for teaching for 49 years, I'm sure uh, Tom complains about this a lot, is everyone's self-made. Like, they, oh, they never, was, like, they I discovered everything. Name, there, are no there was a photographer anymore. who's now dead who was at, uh, giving a lecture many years ago at uh, ICP. Uh, I'm self-taught. Mm. Right. I remember being in the audience. I... And I said to him afterwards, I said, what about all those four years you spent in the photo department of Columbia College in Chicago? <laughs> I mean, Arthur Siegel, who was at the Institute of Zana, important teacher and, and photographer, student of Maholi's, once said, 
every photographer lies, and particularly about his or her dates, mm. when, she, when she did it, when she whatever, and he, it's one of his rules. Uh, um, probably every artist lies, too, but um, photographers won't do it. They won't do it anymore. They won't acknowledge it. And yeah. they also, you know, they come in, this is a little peculiar. I'm, I'm going to be pretty candid here. Absolutely. You know, I've been doing this. I've been a chairperson at this school for 27 years. I think I was a chairperson at Columbia College Chicago for four years. I taught there for seven, I think. And you founded that program, right? I, there, it existed. Uh, Jim Newberry, I think, well, there was even a guy before him. But I built it in mm -hmm. the sense that it grew from a small little thing under me. And I started, I didn't found that department, but I founded the museum there. Okay. Uh, which was called something different then. Um, and there was a collective of people who were engaged in developing that department. But I didn't mean to get you off track. But no, I but what I... We'll, we'll but circle it's, back. It's, yeah, yeah can circle back. But what is, is important to note in terms of the previous thing, as I've been teaching all the time, you know, people come to me, oh, I'd like to teach at your school. You know, I'm well-known, I'm famous. And uh, I'd like to do a course about me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Or I had one day the other day, the woman writes me, she's got a, somewhat of a record. I, I really am ready to teach again. Mm. And here's the course I propose, mm -hmm. which is exactly a course that, of course, we already have in our, <laughs> in our curriculum and one which probably needs to morph to a whole nother level. But, so and I wrote her back. Yeah. I said, let me just finish. Yeah. I wrote her back and I said, you know, if you look carefully at our offer, you'll see we already have that, car that course. So she writes me back again. Oh, well, I haven't really looked, but how about this course? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, give yeah. me a goddamn break. Yeah. You're supposed to you do your homework. A little yeah. bit. Do a your goddamn. Yeah. Or somebody will come in to me. How are you today? How was your family? Oh, I'm having three shows and five of this, and, and you have to come to this and this. And then they walk out. <laughs> oh, you didn't answer my question. Oh, how are you, Charles? <laughs> you know, I mean, the ambition is raw. Right. And some of these people are very talented and very good, and others are not. They just, they're out there. Yeah. So I'm not playing bitter grapes. I'm just mm -hmm. saying I've observed this to the point of almost, you know, such distaste. Kathy Shore, who you interviewed with me, we were at an opening somewhere, one of the museums, and she said, I just can't stand all these people. They come up to you and tell you before they even ask you, say hello, they say, I'm having a show at this, or here's my cart. Uh, and she uh, says, how did they do all that? How did they do it? And the same old people, we, every, we see the same people every time we go on an opening doing exactly the same thing. And she said, I just can't stomach it, and I can't do it. And I said to her, that's part of the work today. If you can't promote yourself, no one's going to do it for you, and that's what they have to do, which is very disturbing. So anyway, maybe that's a off the track. But no, not no. at all. Yeah. I mean, it has a lot to do with um, with the idea of of having, uh, you know, we were just talking about you know having people you respect and people you want to learn from, but but also just having a group of people, a sense of community of people you can share things with and talk about what you're doing with, where it doesn't feel like you have to promote yourself. People know who you are, and so if, yeah. I think a lot of these people are they're out there working, they're doing things, they're. And they don't know anybody. They, 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 they come into a situation, they want everybody to know them right away. Yeah, and, you know, 
and then they're and the truth is we have more ways of getting our work out and, and communicating and exchanging than we've ever had, of course. But somehow it's an overload, as you, as you guys know better than I do. And there, there's some lack of social grace in it and some lack of uh, understanding where you're at in, in the world. Meaning, yeah, I know you're the greatest photographer since the one that came up two minutes ago. Uh, you know, I mean, oh, look one of these wonderful things I'm doing, this wonderful new uh, photograms I'm doing. No one's ever done photographs like this before. <laughs> right. I mean, I hear that quite a lot right now, yeah. or something about this new abstraction. Right. Well, do you know about so-and-so and so-and-so? No, who are they? And which I do because I want them to know right. this. Right. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that question can, can be tedious at times when you're sort of testing them, but at a basic level, you just want to get a little sense of what people know. And, and I wonder if, if this kind of, I'm having a show, uh, come look at my work, I'm doing this, somebody's, I wonder if that is a product of only working in social media and showing your work in social media where you don't need social graces uh, to, to show your work on social point. media. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it like that, but I think you're probably right. I think, and social media is telling us me, 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 self-promotion is okay, which it is, actually. I'm, I'm not against self-promotion. Yeah, right. Uh, it's just there's a few little graces that need to happen in the process that don't seem to happen. And what can I tell you? Yeah. But all of that makes it more uncomfortable to say, I'm part of this community, and I want to help this community because the community is just so div diverse and so distracted and so, you know, the most important thing is my show. Oh, I want to have, have the collectors, but I need to be in the museums. And this is another very famous photographer just said that to me. And, you know, I don't really care about the collectors anymore. I just want the museums. Okay, fine. Of course you do. And... That also shows a misunderstanding because the museums are only buying well, she, what the collectors that are on their board are she, it's giving a certain, them the money to buy. She feels that if she, she gets the acknowledgement of the museum, they will get the collectors, which is probably true. But it's like, oh, and and oh, but isn't it terrible what's happening in the world? You know, something like that. <laughs> well, do you ever think about who those people are, who yeah, are those yeah. collectors? Exactly. They're the people creating the problem, right. yeah. which is... The Damocles sword overall, because we need that, uh, I guess we need that commerce mm -hmm. in order to justify our existence, not only as artists, not really as artists, but as educators, as people developing the photo art world culture. And every once in a while, you have to step back and say, look, what is this fucking museum gallery stuff about? It's about Wall Street. It's a commodity. Don't kid yourself. And you're not saving the world. Right. Yeah. You know, I think we probably didn't save the world <laughs> in my day. I know we didn't. But we were trying to establish at least that photography had a place. Mm -hmm. So once we won that battle, what else was there to do? I, I remember. I, I was, <laughs> I'm very cynical. I'm oh, no, sorry. No, but I was here in the, in the uh, late 80s. And I remember the, the big conversation back then was, well, would you would you have a show if it was sponsored by Philip Morris? I mean, would yeah. you would you do if Philip Morris wanted you to do a, a a corporate brochure? Would you do that work for them? That was our that was our little idealistic conversation. I mean, apropos what we were just talking about, I remember 
back in the 80s, you know, Alan Sakula going on and on about, you know, the system and his far left view, which was fine and one perfectly. And I remember somebody asking him in, in the conversation, well, why are you having a show at Leo Castelli? Which is exactly the point. I mean, why was he having a show at Leo? How can you have it both ways? Right. You know? Oh, well, well, it's art. Something like <laughs> that. You know, I mean, hmm. it, it, it's a disturbing question. I mean, either, you know, you have to find a rationale. And of course, we'll all probably sell out for a few dollars because we'd like to. <laughs> it would be nice to have somebody buy a lot of pictures and, you know. Sure. But, and every time it happens, you know, I, I, I see it like found money. I think it's oh, fantastic. But uh, we're not saving the world. This is not art by and large, though they're great geniuses and there's still many people doing wonderful things, that is changing really our perception of the world. Right. Largely. Uh, which I think photography did throughout the 20th century. But even without thinking of it in terms of, you know, saving the world versus strict commercialism on right. the art, uh, I wonder about the changes you may have seen from the graduate students coming in about um, the motivation to even be a photographer. Like, certainly, definitely in your era and all of that coming up when yeah. there wasn't, there was no promise of making any money. Everyone did it because they were talking about wanting to make photographs. It was about making photographs, about making photographs. It was about a great fun we had making photographs. And that's, even when I was in school, that was, that even as late as the 90s, that was still, you know, early 90s, that was the conversation. Sure. And now... The grad students come in, some have already had, you know, solo shows here or there, but I think there's, going along with the striving we were talking about of, of this dual-edged sort of self-promotion and making the work, I think the, this, the lifestyle of being the artist and tied in with meaning that you're going to have collectors, you're going to go to their place in the Hamptons on, you know, during the summer or all of these are things are going to happen, that that is maybe even a greater motivation than to want to go out in the world with a camera in your hand. There's no question about it. And I say this, we have a very eclectic program, as you know. It's large, but international. I think we have 14 different countries here. And it's very heady, and it, 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 it's very broad in its thinking. We have no one bias about what the lens and screen practice should be. That said, Chelsea... I'm using it metaphorically, is four blocks from here. Mm -hmm. And quite frequently, a couple of our students will get a show right out of graduate school, even from their graduate show, as happens with other schools too. And many of them have made it quite big in that world. So every student comes in, and remember, they come in pretty young from around the world, and this is happening around the world. I mean, China, we have a lot of Chinese students, has a big art market now. Yeah, huge. A huge art market. And what do you want to do? Oh, I want to have shows and be in Chelsea and get in museums and 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 but what do you want to do? Oh, I want to have be yeah. sell pictures and but what kind of work do you want? Well, I don't know yet, but I'll figure that out. Yeah. So I'll go to Chelsea and have a look around and, and so yeah. it's a big it it's a magnet. And of course their teachers, many of them indeed are successful people in that world. And their reference is that world often, though other things, to be sure, in New York. And I, but it's there four blocks away. 
<laughs> and it looks like it's successful. Mm-hmm. It looks like these young people are successful to them. Plus, they've been told that that's a meaningful career. I don't think I was told, and I don't know about you guys, you're, you're almost a generation younger, but not quite. Most artists weren't successful in my day. There were a few who were known. They weren't necessarily rich. There were very few rich artists. I remember Aaron Siskin getting uh, <laughs> a couple thousand dollars from his brother's estate. He thought he had made it, you know. Yeah. Uh, those guys were making $15,000 a year, even, you know, in 69 teaching. I mean, it was unbelievable. So, and other artists, even the abstract expressionists, they had careers, but they weren't rich people. They, they hadn't had this celebrity that they have today. And, they were doing and artists weren't celebrities in the way. I mean, artists are real celebrities today. They were cultural icons, but not celebrities. And, and a lot of the photographers then were also doing commercial work That's to right. supplement the yeah, work they all, were doing. All kinds of things. Yeah, I, th- I also think you could argue now that they are celebrities, but not cultural icons. I mean, yeah, if you, people might know the name. That's or right, the but thing, they're not really. Yeah, exactly. it's not. You know, people don't look for them to like. Oh, yeah. you know, I really can't wait to go see what the next show is. Today. And in a culture like ours, meaning the world culture, celebrity and fame mean a great deal. You can't blame them for that, nor can you say even that you don't want some of it yourself. You can't, mm-hmm. but. That said, you lose the students often come to me, prospective students and even students about to graduate from the graduate program say, well, what's your advice about how I should build my career now or what are you going to do? Well, you know, should I get a job or what kind of, you think I should go see this gallery or that gallery, blah, blah, blah. And what am I going to do with all this? And Mm -hmm. I said, well, first of all, and I really believe this because I believe it for myself. I know that I learned how to learn from being a photographer, that I grew perceptibly, mentally, uh, ethically, everything I hold dear, I learned by learning from photography. I wasn't a great student prior. Um, I believe that a good education in the medium of the lens of screen arts It teaches people how to think, how to react, how to see, and how to understand. If it is just about teaching them to become artists or whatever this thing is, it's a dead end. Or a Ponzi scheme. A Ponzi scheme. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Tom says Ponzi scheme, and he's right. And we're part of it to some extent. There's no question about it. Yeah. But... I believe in this program that our students come out, maybe they're not all going to be great artists or great photographers, but they all come out with a set of resources that they would not have had, nor could they have gotten in a different way. Because it's pretty rigorous in a lot of ways. And that that is meaningful education. And We've been examining where our alum are because we have a 30th anniversary coming up and it's been a very tedious thing talking about. It's amazing how, how well they've done. And they're connected by and large to the field, maybe in ancillary ways. Some are designers, some are, are, are entrepreneurs in, in the field or in related field. 
it's amazing how successful most of them are. And I'm very proud of that. I'm more proud of some of those people than I am of our biggest superstars, to tell you the truth. Now, everybody wants to say, who graduated? Who's your art? I don't care about them. Right. In a funny way, I don't care about them. For the Ponzi scheme, I need to put them up there. (laughs) But in a way, I really don't care about I'm much more interested that this woman who came in with so little came out and is now designing handbags with imagery on it and has a big company worldwide. Mm -hmm. We have such a person. So it's a good education if it's organized right. Additionally, and you guys know this, I know you because I know where you come from, I know how you've been nurtured. Being a photographer, I'm using the term photographer or camera artist, let's say, allows us to go anywhere, everywhere, anytime, basically want, be a voyeur, look into the world, examine, have fun with it, take from it what we want. It's such a personal thing. It's so goddamn much fun (laughs) to photograph or to make imagery. Mm -hmm. And when that fun is lost, there's something really lost. And if that fun is lost to the careerism, I love being able to photograph. I mean, my only regret about teaching is I never had enough time just to go out and (laughs) photograph. But what other profession allows you to partake in so many things? It's not like being a painter or a writer where you're secluded. Mm -hmm. We can go into the world, take from it what we want, when we want it. Right. Yep. Although and teaching we're not is caught in a in a little cubicle, though I yeah. was in a cubicle. <laughs> teaching is one of the best jobs to have as a photographer because it does yeah. offer you a bit of a schedule, right? Yeah. You can get out there and photograph. Yeah, no, it's a very <laughs> good thing. And you know, for a while many of our guys didn't want to teach. Right. They weren't interested in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I want to be in the gallery where I don't you know <laughs> well, you you know, what am I gonna do? I said well, I want to teach here at SVA. Well, in New York. Yeah, sure you do. Of course, yeah. But uh, there's a nice job out there at Mead College in Pennsylvania. Oh, I don't want to be out there. Well, yes. please, maybe you should start. And I'll just tell you a little funny little story. When I was uh, last year of graduate school, I, my wife, I, I got remarried, uh, was pregnant and I knew I needed the job. <laughs> right. I mean, this is suddenly, and of course, teaching was the obvious thing. So there was a job open at the Dayton Art Institute I applied for, and I thought I was going to get it. I had an interview and all that stuff. And I was aced out by a person, I think, two years ahead of me. You know who that was? No. Emmett, Emmett Gowan. <laughs> <laughs> Before Princeton then. Yeah, Yeah. he was there for four or five years. And I said to my students, I think, you know, (laughs) if it was good enough for us, it could be good enough for you. Of course, subsequently I got a a part-time job at Columbia College that led to other things. But, I mean, I was so disappointed. I thought that would be the ideal job. Move to Dayton. Well, you know. No, but I mean, (laughs) who... My students would no more go to Dayton, Ohio, than fly to the moon. Right, right. right. Absolutely right. So what you... You, uh, you get your degree at the Institute of Design. What was your first job out of there? It, uh, Columbia College. It was? Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's right about that. Jim Newberry was, I think, the only full-time. There were several other part-time people who'd come out of the Institute of Design and also a couple out of the Art Institute of Chicago. And then uh, I think a year or so later, I was hired as the second full-time person. Mm. And I sort of helped redesign the curriculum. And... One of the interesting 
things. Again, it goes back to that period, and it's it's very, very interesting story. Photography was starting to catch on. As you said earlier, I think you said it, blow, blow up. up. Yeah. Avedon had a profile, certainly by then. Uh, Diane Arbus show had happened. Um, what there was well, the Vietnam there was War right. created a great deal of interest in, in a certain kind of documentary. You know, document, and there was new documents at the Museum right. of Modern Art, and right? New documents, right? Though I don't know that the public knew that the mm. way I might have known it, but and the GI Bill, yeah, and the GI Bill, very important, yeah. All these vets coming back. So by '72, I think thereabouts, Columbia College was running classroom darkroom. The photo we had a two-part thing, not unlike people do today. One, one teacher in the darkroom, one teacher in the classroom, but you, hmm. it was one class. The classroom was critique yeah. and history. The darkroom was technique and so hmm. on and so forth. And it was, I think, a six-credit hour course. But we were running those courses from 8 in the morning to 12 at night. That was real revenue coming into that school. Yeah, it wow. had got to, and a lot of advertising agencies and people came back to take certain courses and da-da-da-da-da. Plus, there was history. So we started what we called the Concerned Photography, no, it was called uh, Contemporary Trends in Photography Lecture Series. Columbia College didn't even have an auditorium in those. You had to use the medical school auditorium at Northwestern. The first one, Jim Newberry got and I got Cornell Kappa to organize because we didn't have the reach to some of the people we wanted. And I think it included Kappa Negro. It included... Um, Hero, the fashion photographer, uh, Bruce Davidson, 12 major people at the time. Hmm. Um, I think, I'm not sure we didn't have Brandt or Lartigue. I can't remember. I have the poster. And Roy DiCarava was in that list. Uh, they weren't all the obvious concern, Cornell-concerned people. Mm. I think Minor White might have been there. W. Gene Smith was definitely there. Wow. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, these were, ma all 12 were major people who lots of people didn't know about, but major people. Well, all of a sudden, that lecture series, which I think we charged $5 a ticket, which was a not pretty good amount, was packed. Hmm. I mean, 250 people, maybe more in some of them. It was a big event in Chicago. People went. Hmm. Cornell had been doing his uh, a lecture series, something similar, up at uh, a museum that was up on Riverside Drive. He had, the ICP didn't exist. So Cornell visits Chicago. He sees what in the hell's going on here. This lecture is a great thing, and the school is booming with classes. Hmm. I think basically it was the incentive for his ICP hmm. initiative. Uh, interesting. Cornell Kappa. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, this is either 71, 72, I can't even remember exactly the dates. But that's how, you know, all of a sudden there was an audience for mm. this. Mm. 250 people, I think one of them had 500 people. Wow. So, I mean, that was the feeling. I don't think you get that many people for a thing today, maybe, you know? No, I'd be surprised. Yeah. yeah. So, it was very popular. Yeah. And I, Alice Beck Odette was working here, starting to do the similar things. Not on a scale like that. 
Uh, so did Alice Bucketet start the undergrad no, photo was, program? No, I think there was a guy named Reynolds, Charlie okay. Reynolds, who was a popular photography writer, but he wasn't there very long. Alice Beck was here for 50 years. Oh, okay. I had dinner with her last night. She's 90 years old. She's as alert and smart and beautiful as she ever was. Oh, well, <laughs> she won't remember me, but tell her I said hello. I <laughs> Well, that's the end of our first hour with Charlie Traub at the School of Visual Arts. What a fantastic conversation. When we come back for the second hour, we'll pick up with Charlie's involvement with the Light Gallery. In the meantime, please visit thephotoshow.org where you can find links to Charlie's website and his Twitter account. Also, you can find ways to follow and subscribe to the Photoshow podcast. All right, we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.